Welcome to this Food Thing podcast. This is the place where we talk about our relationship with food, whether it is friend or foe, easy or less so, and how it affects our behavior. Here's today's episode. Hi, welcome back to this Food Thing podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Ollie Weatherall. Ollie is managing editor and staff writer at VLand UK, an online vegan magazine. Ollie's lived with severe food allergies for decades. They've made a huge impact on his life, and as a consequence, he's dedicated to raising awareness for anyone with special dietary requirements, be they vegan or not, or suffering food allergies or intolerances. An aspiring nutritionist, Ollie will be commencing his training soon. He feels there's still a long way to go regarding food intolerances and allergies. I couldn't get my teeth in. Ollie, welcome to this Food Thing podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Can we just, before we start, can we just briefly talk about um, VLand UK? Because you've been very supportive to us. We launched our website recently, lovethisfoodthing.com. And you were very supportive about us. We've also interviewed Sean Russell, who I think you look after with Will Callahan, who's the founder of VLand UK. Um, and not everyone who listens to this podcast is vegan. I'm sort of 99.9% vegan, but I'm going to tell everyone, if you need to know anything about veganism, then go to this uh, uh, website and uh, Instagram page because it's fantastic. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we dive in? Yeah, I mean, um, so VLand UK, the, the vision, which is mainly Will's vision, but I sort of share it, is mm. to... Um, try and bring the vegan community and we we term so our demographic we say is um the v curious so we're not we're not exclusively just trying to uh, put out sort of information and articles for vegans we're trying to get vegetarians and people who may be interested in doing something like meat free monday or just a bit curious about potentially some more plant-based eating or the lifestyles so we try and we try and attract lots of people and we try and do it in a way where we're um not being sort of divisive and we're slightly careful around uh some of the language we use and we sort of won't be using uh like slaughterhouse images and things like that we have we're oh, having sort good. of a slightly different angle to try and almost um attract without trying to come across which is the the word that's very much thrown around the preachy the preachy vegan well Um, so we try to sort of not do that and we sort of do news and uh, articles entertainment interviews and that's a recent thing we only started the the beginning of this year but we're making progress and things seem to be going quite well yeah, you look like you're doing well. So everybody, go to the Instagram page and, and have a peek. And the so, website. The website, I'm sorry. Yeah, because that's where all the day. articles are. But Instagram as well. But I just want Instagram to say the website as well. As well. Yeah, 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 and the website. Yeah. Instagram and the website. Um, so how would you describe your relationship with food, friend or foe? So currently or? Mm. Well, how, whatever comes up, really. Currently, okay, so yeah. I would say at the moment we're <laughs> somewhere in between the two, um, I would say. I'd say you are. that, yeah, I'd say about 18 months or so ago, it was very much the foe. Um, but now things are, well, definitely better than they were. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's an area that's not necessarily, I don't feel there's much focus upon of the link between um, food allergies and eating disorders because there's lots of, rightly, lots of focus on anorexia, but a lot from, but that's not necessarily, well, it wouldn't normally be, that that's due to food allergies. So I, I view the food allergy and eating disorders link slightly differently because if, like me, you live with severe allergies, food actually can kill you. So it's, it's yes, it's a slightly different thing whereby you have to be wary of food. So food is meant to be nourishing and meals are meant to be a time where people 
come together and enjoy them and share and all this sort of stuff. But if you have severe food allergies, you have to, you, you don't just view, view food as it's something nourishing and it's relaxing and I can share a nice meal with people. It's very much, this could be very dangerous for me. I need to be almost treated, I always have to treat food as a potential threat before I eat it. So it can, and with me, it ended up getting to that point, make people at at the least have a um, tricky relationship with food. And then then it's where, how far that goes. I mean, some people with with food allergies seem to (laughs) get on with their lives and just live completely normally. And you wouldn't know, which I probably class myself as doing that for a while during my teenage years but um they're then yeah after having some severe allergic reactions the the uh what's the word i'm looking for the sort of uh, territory but that's not the right word changes the landscape so I, okay yeah yeah the landscape so i since i had some really severe allergic reactions i basically recognized that i it's not sort of formally diagnosed but i don't feel i need a diagnosis that i have sure a form of PTSD from those reactions, which has very much changed my perception of risk. And it was very um, unconscious for a while how I was reacting. So I was knee-jerk reacting to things and it's taken a long time to be able to sort of sit with it and be slightly more conscious of is is that based in that sort of trauma or is that a realistic perception of risk? Well, that and sounds, that, that facing life and death every time you eat or you sit down and have a plate in front of you sounds incredibly stressful and traumatic. Take me, just, can you give us a little bit of history then? Did you have severe allergies when you were little? Yeah, so pretty much my whole life I have. So when I was... <laughs> I always get this wrong, but I think uh, maybe nine months or so, something around that. No month, one will that's know. Like wrong. No I, one will know. I developed, you can say nine months. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I developed a um, severe egg allergy. Um, okay. And at that point, the um, the medical consensus was babies like me with egg allergies were told to avoid um, peanuts and nuts because they thought that was the best approach mm-hmm. the the current medical consensus is very much different to that um so that potentially contributed to um i mean we, while i can actually touch on some of what we what the research suggests the reasons for allergies because it's related so i was uh i was born by c-section so there's uh-huh. um they appear, they appear if you're born by c-section it affects you don't get um yeah certain positive gut by bacteria mm-hmm. also when i was a baby i had really um bad and like ear infection or something and they had to give me loads and loads of antibiotics right. um and the a lot of the current research is focusing upon how much gut and allergy related there was some interesting research which i might not quite completely right but they gave it sounds horrible, but they gave fecal transplants to um, certain people with peanut allergies, I think. And I've they were able this, to yeah. help, um, I don't know if they cured, but help reduce the reaction just from the makeup of the gut bacteria. So people with allergies potentially have a less diverse gut microbiome. Because um, the antibiotics have potentially wiped out the microbiome and it never has an opportunity to replace itself i think it can never i think it can never get back to being as optimal as it would have been if that could have happened because i also then developed quite bad eczema and then eczema Ah. is then linked to if you have eczema when you're younger you're more likely to have allergies when you're older and also have the genetic link because mum's allergic to um, like grass and horses and stuff. So I have almost almost all of the potential things that predispose me. So C-section, antibiotics, uh, genetic link, 
the current the medical consensus at the time, which is now would not be good advice to avoid the allergens because then when you have them, yeah. um, your body doesn't know what to do with them potentially. The only so thing I had, you, on, sorry, sorry. I to say, the only thing I had going in my favour mm-hmm. was there's um, one of the other sort of proposed things is called the hygiene hypothesis. So right. due to how um, it's good for lots of things, so how clean we have environments, we have less cholera and things like this because we're much mm. cleaner. However, mm-hmm. children not playing as much outside and not getting yeah. all these strange positive bacteria is once again not making the gut not as good and then that's potentially contributing to the allergy epidemic. But that was the only thing that I had going for me because I was always running around outside in the dirt and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, making it didn't appear pies. to be enough to offset the rest. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Wow, you really came in. The seam was set, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So when you were, well, that must have made eating impossible from before you can even remember. What did you eat very little then as a child? So, luck. Well, I just luckily I can't remember quite a lot of it. Um, mm. And at that age, it is then your parents' responsibility because you can't yeah. advocate for yourself. So I don't really. I mean, mum did very good job of making me not feel um sort of that I was that different so as I'm if I went to a birthday party I always had my own special like um chocolate rice crispy cake because it wouldn't have uh, eggs in and stuff like that so very much at that age it is that the parent takes on the load and the child hopefully isn't so isn't massively affected by the anxiety and they can have a sort of normal life because their parent sort of takes that on. And how um, was that for you? Did you feel special or did you feel different? To be honest, I I don't really massively remember my... So I outgrew my egg allergy when I was maybe 10, 11. So up to that point, I don't really remember it actually really being part of my identity or affect me much i also the the egg allergy wasn't as severe as my peanut allergy is so i never had a anaphylactic or really bad reaction that i'm aware of so it wasn't quite um the level of precaution i need now and also wasn't on my shoulders to do I guess, I guess, and it's great that you can't remember it, but things get internalised, don't they? Emotions and emotional states, of course, we can't cognitively remember them, but the feelings, the feelings stay in within the system at some level, on many levels. Um, I'm wondering what it was like when you got to be a teenager. Yeah, so I had, um, how long did I have? I had a brief... Um, gap or break from allergies for well 18 months and then realized I was severely allergic to peanuts and also in hindsight I've actually been severely allergic to peanuts um, since I was probably eight or nine from hindsight there have been reactions I've had which we never really put two and two together so I have had a severe peanut allergy probably since I was nine or ten but can you say what what uh, what can you just give us a couple of your reactions to peanuts what happens yeah so it's it's an unfortunate trend which sometimes does appear to be the case with severe allergies in that um each reaction is worse than the previous one oh. so and that was also the case so I have a sesame allergy as well it's, right. it's, a, it's a trend that's happened with the peanut and the sesame that throughout the years, each time I've had a reaction, it's been more severe. So it, it varies between how recent. I mean, the most severe one I've had was the most recent one I've had, which was um, maybe four years ago. I had a really severe reaction to a sort of sesame cracker that I ate. And that was at the time where I still wasn't quite sure if I was allergic to sesame or not. Mm. And that sort of proved I was. 
But okay. so you ha- so your um, your sort of throat can can constrict a bit. One of so the, the the three things to look out for. I hope I remember this right. Is um, sort of A B C. So it's I think airways breathing and circulation those are sort of the hallmarks for an anaphylactic reaction so you can be so i have intolerances to lots of things Mm. but that's not an allergy it's different in how your immune system reacts and it's not going to ever like kill me so i just it's different how it reacts but with a sort of looking out for a potentially severe anaphylactic reaction so your airways are your airways like your throat is it constricted a bit tight What's yeah. your breathing like? Is your yeah? How, how's your breathing doing? Are you struggling to breathe? And one of the big ones is see your circulation. So one of the big um, indicators that things are really bad is your um, blood pressure drops. Oh, so wow. you feel really faint. So that's what happened with my last one, and that was I mean that was absolutely terrifying. I just went really really sort of lightheaded and faint, um, and then use my um, adrenaline auto injector, which are commonly referred to as EpiPens, which is the most known brand name, but there's also Emirates and Jex and other brands. Um, and then, yeah, sort of call 999, go wow. to the hospital, be monitored. Um, wow. But yeah, it, it, it can vary for different people. There's, those are the three big things to be aware of, though. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Hi, welcome back to this Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Ollie Weatherall. And we got to EpiPens and then we had a break. And Ollie's just talking about his teenage years, 18 months off, not having any allergies, but probably having an allergy. And now we're in the teenage years. And how was that being a teenager dealing with all your food food issues? And um, yeah, can you just outline that a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so... Yeah, so during my teenage years, my <laughs> my one of my at least initial ways of coping with it, with it, or basically more better phrase, not coping with it, was um, basically just to not really treat it very seriously. And I'd go and eat out in places and not ask what's in it, and just sort of hope for the best. I mm-hmm. went to Chinese sometimes and did that, which was. Chinese and peanut allergy do not mix very yeah. well. Um, yeah, yes. sure. Um, and, yeah, just basically not really coping with it very well and just sort of viewing it as, yes, it was very different to when sort of any memories I have of being younger, sort of not wanting it to be, sort of make me stand out and almost trying to um, not bring it up unless I absolutely had to with people and basically just view it from the perspective of <clears throat> I didn't want it to impact anything or stop me doing anything. Um, did you feel angry about it? Did I what, sorry? Did you feel angry about it, about angry your situation? About um, I don't know if I was consciously aware that I was angry about it. I mean, throughout the years... Probably, yeah, it's probably interesting. Probably sort of more so the past five years or so, there's been, I don't know if anger is the right word. I think frustration is the right word. Okay. A lot of frustration. I've sort of mm. got beyond the point of being angry, but there is definitely still frustration about it and frustration about can there please be more done to help and do more research and sort of treats i i view allergies as a as a disability but by the definition of what a disability is a severe allergy is a disability but Mm -hmm. very much people with allergies are not treated in my opinion as someone if you can clearly see they have a physical disability okay um I, i don't think you very much wouldn't just yeah, I, I so I, this is, brings me on to 
Yeah, so it, it links back to the fact that basically all people with allergies want is to feel a bit safer when they're eating food and mm-hmm. ideally get to the point where they don't have to feel that eating foods could kill them. Mm. That's all yeah. that people want. They honestly, that is, and f- I mean, for me, if I, if, if I could not have allergies, my whole life would be completely different. I mean, if, I've any, if I had any wish or I would give up all my money, I would happily sort of, I'd sleep on the streets to not have allergies. Like it would really? make such a colossal difference wow. to my life. That's extraordinary to say that. Yeah. I had no idea it was that severe. What did, okay, so you ignored it, which sounds quite nihilistic, but completely understandable. Did something happen to attract your attention? And how did you, not not actually how did you deal with it, but um, I imagine some, I imagine your food issues, well, um, did, did you, develop an eating disorder did you decide not to eat did what what happened yeah so trying to think sort of time-wise I mean extraordinarily how how sort of lackluster I was about things Mm. I didn't actually have so I had my severe a severe reaction at 13 which solidified the fact I had a peanut allergy Mm. but then I didn't have a I didn't have a um, a reaction which I had to go to hospital for, for until when would it be? So, um, yeah, so four or five years ago. So between thirteen and twenty, okay. I didn't have a reaction that made me hospitalised. I, I honestly don't really understand how. Okay. Um, I do think partly what has been happening is they have been getting slightly more severe throughout the years and through. So during that time, it's not like I didn't have any reactions. I had lots of milder ones, but not ones which sent me to the hospital. Okay. It does appear each one sort of compounds how serious the next can be. Um, so, yeah, that was... But, yeah, I sort of I sort of got... There was always anxiety, but sort of it, it was at the point where I was still living what I deem a sort of normal life. So on my gap year, I went um, traveling around Australia and New Zealand mm. with some people. And I managed to do a lot of things there. But I think that almost by the time I'd returned, that had almost made things a bit worse for me. It was a bit weird because I, I slightly underestimated how hard it was going to be. And... Like one one thing that happened is one of my flights I was about to get, um, just before I got on, I felt I was having a, a mild reaction. So I decided to sort of not to board the plane and then sort of sat in the airport and took some antihistamines and just like, just sort of hoped things got a bit better. And then I ended up going on a... Uh, they, they luckily gave me... I, I explained what was happening. They put me on another flight for free which is very nice of them but Mm. um i think that experience didn't help things and yeah it's it's also i view it as how i explain to people as it's a sort of um a build-up of hyper vigilance for so it was for a decade so being trying to think how to explain what other scenarios you'd be constantly hypervigilant well i think you can um, just be in a state of hypervigilance can't you and constantly on the alert and anxious yeah. is exhausting because your system is you're always in that kind of prey mentality looking out for a predator aren't you in its sort of animal yeah, behavior much, way very much so and so it's I impossible then also, to function like that yeah i then also developed a sort of <clears throat> thyroid disorder which i also think is linked to um mm-hmm. I, I think basically I had sort of adrenal burnout, thyroid disorder, because right. it's, we, yeah. we know, it's known that chronic stress is not good for people. Like in many, many ways, it's not good. It wears out telomeres. Yeah. It, it's a killer. It, yeah. it, it decreases mental function, all this sort of stuff. And to have that for sort of a decade, it, it just, yeah, it got to the point where I think it just, yeah, just completely wiped me out. And then, while I was at uni, I was sort of struggling with um, 
my allergies and things. Things sort of got progressively worse from starting uni until sort of, yeah, things just got progressively worse. My anxiety was getting worse. I remember I started buying anti-back hand wash and rubbed my hands into basically oblivion and just okay. got really bad eczema all over the back of my hands and infection in my hand because I was washing my hands so much. Um, and, yeah, it just sort of, it didn't really, it didn't really improve from that point. And then when I sort of, then I had two severe reactions within nine months of one another. And then that, I, I basically view my, my sort of life and how I approach things before those happened and after. Because there's so a did, very obvious shift. Okay. And it, I'm guessing, or it, it was a shift downwards. Did you just stop eating? Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm trying to get the sort of timeline right. So I would say, so about, yeah, sort of 18 months-ish ago, mm. Mm. Um, anxiety just kept getting sort of basically progressively worse. Um, and my thought process was, right, so I'm getting quite anxious when I'm eating. So what I'll do is reduce the amount of times I eat a day okay. to try and have fewer potential times of anxiety. So I was eating sort of three times a day, which was sort of okay. Um, but sort of slowly within that I wasn't then eating, I basically wasn't eating enough calories and it took to the point of me losing a lot of weight to be <clears throat> sort of fully aware how much weight I'd actually lost. I think I was in sort of denial about it because it appeared to be a strategy that was helping reduce my anxiety or at least not making it worse. Did you um did you feel like you were wresting control back from the situation, like you were back in charge? I think I thought I maybe had a slightly more control. Yeah, I don't know mm. if I sort of viewed it from that perspective, but that was probably yeah. I mean, as I said, the sort of reasoning behind it was to try and have a bit more control and be a bit less um, at the sort of. Um, I don't know if right, but the, the behest of the allergy, I don't think that was the right word. but No, I love the word behest. Yeah. I think we should use yeah. it again a bit later. <laughs> um, I'm just, because my experience of not eating um, is, and other people that I've spoken to, it's very much about control. And then I don't know if this is so for you, so I'm going to ask it as a question. Did you get to that point where you just don't need to eat anymore. You don't want anything. You don't have to eat. Of course you have to eat, but you just stop. I was never at the point where I had days where I wouldn't eat anything. Okay. That never happened. Okay. Um, it was, it, the, the, the other issue with it as well is that my stomach shrank a lot. Mm -hmm. So once I realised that, right, okay, I, it's actually, I, I really need to, eat as much as I can or this is going to like this potentially can put me in hospital so I sort of then had to go right okay every meal I have to eat is until I'm so full I can't move basically and I had to do that and I'm still not quite doing it like that but I've, I've done that pretty consistently for over a year and I'm still being wary to um yeah keep on top of things and try and actively still put weight on okay so you, um, were you surrounded by people saying you're losing so much weight this has got to stop yeah so I mean yeah basically mum was sort of telling me and I wasn't really hearing it and then it sort of got to the point I, it, got, it got to the point where I would when I was sort of going to bed I'd lie down on my front and be really uncomfortable because I was so skinny I think that was mm -hmm. the point where I actually got mm, okay I got quite, it suddenly sort of hit me. I got very sort of concerned and sort of realised sort of what had actually happened. And then from that point, it was, right, I have to treat this very seriously and eat as much as I possibly can every meal. 
I mean, it was absolutely horrible a whole year of eating to your uncomfortably full to try and put on weight. It's really, <laughs> it's I, yeah, really I, horrible. Yeah, I can imagine, of course. Um, but also I'm just struck by the fact that when you're not eating, it's an out-of-body experience because you're not in your body at all. And how something within you, when, and you didn't go to hospital, when this is enough, you know, it's time to kind of, get back to this world and this place and and deal with what's going on and putting that amount of food into your body for a year is probably the most grounding physically grounding things you could have done for yourself and just that just shows such sort of temerity and strength and willpower yeah well I don't view it quite like that. I view it as... I'm sure right, you don't view it like that. Yeah, you're either, you're either going to end up in the hospital or not. Yeah, yeah. So what are you going to do? Okay. This is, that's a perfect place to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this Food Theme Podcast. I'm here with Ollie, Ollie Weatherall. And we were just chatting in the break about... Um, well, we were talking about anxiety and it was something that I was, I was, I wanted to ask you, Ollie, just before the break about your anxiety levels and how you manage, because I think they're part and part of eating disorders, particularly when you're not eating. And then just that overwhelming horror of having to eat again for whatever reason. Um, I just wondered what you did with all that psychologically. And also, was it your anxiety that kind of helped you? Yeah, so so as, as you say, so I'm just touching that piece. said. So in in hindsight, I realised that um, quite a lot of, or let's not say quite a lot, some of the anxiety I was experiencing was due to being underweight, which I didn't realise at the time, and also my um, drastic, drastic drop in cognitive function. I, I basically thought I was very concerned because I my brain just stopped working for quite a few months, um, which was, yeah, just really sort of struggling to read and just stuff like that, just not really quite worrying. Um, but in hindsight, that was lack of weight combined with anxiety, very, very high anxiety. Did you find it, um, were you, did you just stay home all the time? Did you talk to anyone? Yeah. Could you go out? Yeah. Could you call your friends? No. Um, so I, at what point do we get there? So at, so after the sort of realisation of what had gone on and mm. I sort of realised how bad things were, I did then manage to see through my uni, a counsellor. It was extraordinary actually within about, within like a couple of days. Um, so I had six sessions with them. And then after that, I had um, probably another 10 sessions with someone else who is a sort of uh, allergy mental health specialist. And she's in Scotland because basically there aren't any of them as far as I can work out. I've never heard of um, an allergy mental health specialist and there should be loads of them, surely. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow, so you had to go to Scotland. So no, luckily, luckily we did it on. Um, oh, did you? I'm so old-fashioned. Some yeah, blankets I don't think and it smoke on the hill. Time to go to Scotland every session, <laughs> but no, it's it's an area that's from from surveys and data I've seen. People with allergies want more mental health support. It, it's not right. offered. It's not like I spoke to someone who had an allergy who had. Um, this isn't to say that someone without the specialism can't help people with allergies, but I know someone who had really bad anxiety. Yeah. And she got her six sessions on the NHS and she said it was it was not helpful and if anything made things worse because if you don't have the if you don't have the understanding of the allergies at all, I I think you maybe can make things worse. You can maybe underplay it and not quite understand how how um wide an impact severe allergies can have. But I will go back to your what the question was as well. Was mm. that what caused um the sort of three three times a day control I was trying to put in yeah. was anxiety got to the point where I was having pan panic attacks after most meals, and panic attacks are horrible enough just from panic attacks. But the added complication when you have severe allergies 
is that the start of a panic attack feels like the start of an allergic reaction. So you then have to work out, which is the hardest bit, am I having a reaction or am I having a panic attack, which adds this really horrific element to panic attacks. Um, And that... This, this people, so people who get anxiety, who have allergies, and then it progresses into panic attacks. This is a real struggle because you, you are, and especially if it was like me, I, I'm basically relaxed. So I'm not eating the food. I'm fine. As soon as I'm putting something in my mouth, I'm potentially very concerned and worried. But mm. around meal times, it got to the point that every time after meal time. I'd be so anxious that I might be having allergic reaction. I'd be having panic attacks and they felt like I might be having an allergic reaction each time. And then the more and more that happened, the less and less I wanted to eat because every time I ate, I had a panic attack. Did so you ever throw was, up? Um, no. Okay. I guess because that wouldn't have worked because it was in your body anyway. So, so what, what do you mean just I, what, I just threw up what, because no, would my you body ever, didn't want the food? Yeah, would you have ever made yourself sick to get rid of it as part of your panic attack? Or did you just uh, freak? No, because that wouldn't do anything. Yeah, that's what I'm already, saying. It's already in your body, yeah. Yeah, it already have gone in. So, um, yeah, it, that wouldn't do anything. So, okay. no, luckily that wasn't one of the... A few. That was never an element of it. <laughs> never an option. Yeah, and the other thing with it as well, which is interesting, is that Quite often, people who have eating disorders, it's, well, maybe this is generalization, but it's quite often linked to weight, I would imagine. So you can get people who, through maybe, especially sort of, I know young girls can be affected by if you spend a lot of time on Instagram and you don't have the framework to understand that this this is not real life and these are filtered people and you're more vulnerable and you're younger, you can then potentially think that you want to achieve a perfect body type or supposed perfect body type. Yeah, and that can be reasons. maybe the the fuel behind not eating. Yep, For me, it was never yeah. anything to do with weight at all, ever. I understand that. That's very, very clear yeah. and fascinating because I've yeah. never spoken to anyone who's had an allergy and then developed an eating disorder. And I'm sure that you're not alone. Yeah, I, I know I'm not alone, Yeah, unfortunately. Are, yeah. are you part of a support group? I mean, have you reached out to, to people? So I... The anaphylaxis campaign does some support groups, which I am a member of, which okay. do occasionally happen. There's a official Allergy UK support group, which I'm also a member of, which I sometimes um, go on. But yeah, I mean, not really. I I don't. Um, yeah, I've I've met a few people through these things, and it's been nice to actually speak to people who actually go through it. I mean, in, interesting, off the back, I was um, interviewed about my allergies a few years ago and was on, uh, there was a BBC News article about me. Yeah. And off the back of that, I had loads of people um, inbox and message me on Facebook and my social media accounts and stuff saying, God, I, the, I, either like, oh, that must be so hard, we have something similar, or I've been struggling with this, it's so nice to have someone speak about it. And I, those those chats were really interesting. I had loads of people um, saying things about that to me. So that was that was nice. But there's there's definitely um, there's there's a massive lack in uh, support for people with allergies in on the NHS. And it's an area that Allergy UK at the moment are really trying to push and um, all, all the foundations are trying to push that it's just it yeah it's yeah it's not where it it could or hopefully should be at the moment I I think yeah for sure well you're obviously going to be spearheading the change which is fabulous I can't wait till you get qualified I think also culturally uh we don't understand them you know and you you sort of think oh someone making it up and how can you be allergic to a peanut or just a a speck of something I think there's a, a a huge area of ignorance around it. When you had your therapy and then you had your six sessions and you started to get better, I guess you had some support and you, you turned a corner. Um, so psychologically and physically, did your recovery go in tandem? Do you see what I'm getting at? 
so physically you mean by putting more weight on? Well, yeah, and the, your your three meals a day, which induce panic attacks, does that still happen? Do you still have that regimen and do you still have panic attacks? Is it ongoing? So luckily I haven't, I don't quite know how long, but I can't remember my last panic. Well, I can, but that's a ridiculous statement. <laughs> um, I can remember it. Um, you can, okay. So how? So I'd, I'd say, um, I'm not quite sure, maybe six months I haven't uh, had a panic attack. And that's terrific. That long. And no, I don't have the, um, the regimen anymore. I basically eat when I'm hungry, sort of as much as I can, but within I don't have to make myself so horrifically full most of the time but it's still a sort of constant thing I'm aware of that I still need to be putting on um, weight to give me a sort of cushion um, but hopefully I'll reach that point and then I can be slightly more um, relaxed about it all which would be very nice. It's um Another word that I love other than behest is tyranny, tyrannical. It's a tyranny putting on weight, isn't it? The same as it is losing weight. It's really hard work. I think everyone goes, oh, that's a dream, you know, eating and eating and putting on weight. Not <laughs> suddenly, suddenly this has become like a Weight Watchers diet podcast. I don't mean it like that. But it's hard work, isn't it, if you don't feel like it? Yeah, so it's, 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 it's interesting. It's very, it's very different sort of having sometimes a meal that you're really enjoying and going, oh, okay, I'll, I'll call it to have more of that. Or you just sometimes have a day where you just endlessly want to eat. And then some people might be thinking, who are really struggling and they're overweight. Why is, why is he complaining about being able to eat whatever he wants? But <laughs> it's slightly different to um, want to do it and actually know if you don't eat to your sofa or you're uncomfortable every time you possibly can for a whole year you could end up in hospital. It's a slightly different um, dynamic. It's not just, oh, I quite like to have another pack of crisps because I'm quite enjoying them at the moment. Um, right. Yes, so you, could, you do have to be quite, as you say, sort of tyrannical with yourself. Can you, this is going to sound, um, well, I'm going to say, so can you have like half a packet of crisps and then suddenly have a reaction one day and then have a whole packet of crisps or whatever the food is the next day and be fine? Is it like that? Um, I think that would be unlikely. And okay. once again, I'll, I'll, I'll delineate intolerance to allergy. Okay. So, um, yeah, even with intolerance, that, that would be quite, quite unusual. Um, if you have severe allergies, um, traces can cause, yeah, basically can kill you. So you have to be wary of cross-contamination, which is if something's prepared on the same surface, it's not even actually got. So wow. how I realised I have a peanut um, allergy is that I used the knife of my friend after him after washing it in water. And that tiny trace amount was enough to cause a severe allergic reaction. Wow. So if you're at that level, you yeah, you wouldn't be wow. able to get a whole pack. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tiny traces. There's a really horrifying fact, which... I can't quite remember, but one peanut could kill whatever amount of, um, potentially kill whatever amount of people with severe peanut reaction, uh, allergies. So it's very, very minuscule. So it's, it's then when, when you have a very severe reaction, you're not even just concerned about have some, has someone intentionally put peanuts in this? It's, has it been prepared on an environment like a manufacturing environment that has had peanuts on it at some point and wasn't cleaned well enough. This also brings me on to something that I want to say, yes, which is that it. if you look on the back of packets and sometimes you'll see, so you'll have the 14 major food allergens they're called, which would be in bold yeah. on the ingredients listing. And sometimes you'll see a may contain traces or produced in a factory, which might have peanuts in or whatever. Yeah. This is a, a voluntary labelling. So um, what can happen is there could be two products which both have have um, used peanuts on their lines, on their manufacturing lines. One could choose to disclose this to the consumer that um, through the voluntary 
um, this might have traces of peanuts in. The other one could have exactly the same situation and choose not to disclose it. Both of those are legal. So that's another added dimension for people like me that I know that there's no proper mandatory framework to protect people with food allergies. Um, and another thing I'll touch on as well is that, so if you have a, an allergy to one of the f major 14 allergens, it will be in bold always. And if you look on the back of food packets, you'll often see the terminology flavorings or natural flavorings. Yeah. If those flavorings or natural flavorings contain any of the 14 major food allergens, they would then have to say natural food flavorings, brackets, and what those are. However, if that um, flavoring or natural flavoring does not contain any of the 14 major food allergens, food manufacturers do not need to declare what is in it. So, for example, I have a coconut intolerance, um, certain seeds and other weird things. But basically, if I look at a back of a product and it says natural flavorings or flavorings, it could have any of my intolerances and I don't know because legally companies can, I view it as hiding what is yeah, actually Yeah, of course products. it is. It's the food and industry. I, I also <laughs> view it from the perspective when I speak about it from, yes, it's most important for people with intoler intolerances and allergies, but I think it's a much broader issue. I feel everyone should have a right to know exactly what is in their food. And Absolutely. they shouldn't be allowed to get away with just saying flavorings because if they listed what those flavorings were, I bet a significant proportion of people would go, God, I don't want to eat that. Yeah, they wouldn't I'm not buy eating it. that. I'll they put it back on the it. shelf. I and think then, also, sorry, can I interrupt here? Because I'm. Yeah, go ahead. Go also, ahead. the whole sort of provenance of food, um, not as, I'm not talking about field to plate or anything, I'm talking about the lack of manufacturing uh, units in the UK that are completely free of allergens and I'm not sure I'm not sure many exist you have to be very specific so wouldn't it be great if it would say on the back of a packet this was made at this place and then you would know for sure that legally they had to comply with non-allergenic food yeah I mean that's that's an interesting approach so some some companies will um so for example good good hemp they're called green yeah, origins good hemp, yeah um or a few more off the top of my head, they have manufacturing um, environments and supply chains and policies, which means they can guarantee that all of their products, or actually, no, sorry, I'll correct that because Good Hemp have introduced something recently. So they can't guarantee that anymore. Green Origins, however, mm -hmm. um, they can. All of, and I, I love them as a brand, they've basically saved me by, I can actually Green buy their Origins. Chew and Hemp Okay, seeds. I'm going to look at them. I can okay. buy. All of their products, all mm -hmm. of them are free from all of the 14 major food allergens and they have dedicated facilities and manufacturing where Gosh. someone like me knows all of it's completely fine. And yes, you are right. It is, it is rare. Um, and it would be great if there was, yeah, as you say, a sort of, well, it'd be amazing to have some sort of, so you have like the uh, Soil Association logo or the vegan logo. Yeah. You look at that, you know, it's safe. If there was some sort of, accreditation that would say free from all the 14 but I'm aware as someone who's got so frustrated they've almost set up their own company that's free from 14 I think it's so so hard to guarantee that and also then from the legal perspective of the company if they guarantee that and something is not done right they might be held liable and it is to so to set up the whole supply chain whole manufacturing, whole packaging. It is a colossal, colossal thing to do. And I've such, such gratitude for someone like Green Origins that have done it. I'm go say I'm, I'm assuming they're greenorigins.com and I'm appointing you before we're was just about to come to the very end of, of this inter, of your interview. I'm appointing you managing director and I'm putting myself on the board of our manufacturing unit. Um so you don't have to do it alone. I, I'm sure that in your life you will do it. So this is, yeah, thank you so much for all that information. It's fascinating. This is my final question that I ask everybody. And I will let you know that two guests, a very good friend of mine has terrible OCD. So when I asked him this question, he said, the question is what five foods would you take to an island? And he said, well, I'd take five 
packets of powdered food so I didn't get them on my hands. And another person said, I wouldn't take anything at all because then I would be free of this, you know, internal dialogue. What five foods would you take to an island? Well, so I probably... Would I have unlimited quantities or just... Yes, I'm also allowing yes. you to not take anything mm. at all if that's easier. That's why I gave well, you those I'm, examples. I'm trying to think what would help me get to my, <laughs> as close as I can to my nutritional needs. So I yes, take hemp okay. seeds. Hemp seeds. Because they have the optimal omega-3 to 6 ratio and lots of micronutrients and a lot of protein for a seed. Yeah. I'd also take chia seeds because mm -hmm. they have very high... Um, ALA plant-based omega-free levels. Yeah, I take avocados because they're calorifically dense mm -hmm. and have lots of other positives going for them. Mm -hmm. I would take. Ooh, what would I take? I would then take um, whole wheat pitters. I think. Okay. And I didn't expect that. Okay, good choice. I would also take. Um, there's a brand called Hippies, which I love. Um, and I take lots of those because that's chickpeas and quinoas and sort of healthier snack you can eat, in my opinion. So. Lovely. You take the whole range. Or you could just live yep. on vodka. Come and live and come and visit me on my island. And um, <laughs> yes, we could just drink. I think I might no, I'm just... survive slightly longer than you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Ollie, thank you so much for coming on this Food Thing podcast. It's been eye-opening. All your information will be on our Instagram page. Okay, and great. on our show notes, um, is there anything else you'd like to add before you go? Um, I know they'll be on the show notes, but I will just add if someone's just on audio then doesn't get any further that to follow me on Instagram is Nutrition with Ollie. And yeah. I do lots about uh, allergies and nutrition and sort of veganism. It's sort of a, a mixture of the three at the moment. Um, you know and I will add that... Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully this has helped someone. That's all sort of the reason that I've come on because I know there are a lot of people that struggle with this and there still needs to be a huge amount done for raising awareness for allergies. Okay, we're going to put your social media in bold, like allergens. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. Thank you so much, Olive. Thanks for listening. I'd love to know your favourite bit from this episode. Let me know on Instagram at This Food Thing Podcast or join us again in the next episode.